if if he kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with God, there is forgiveness of sins. My soul waits for the Lord. My soul waits. More than a watchman, wait for the morning. My soul waits. And in your word, I put my hope. Oh, church, hope in the Lord. For in the Lord is unfailing love. And he's full of redemption. Father, we come to you this morning and we pray that you would open our spiritual eyes to see you with greater clarity, Lord God. Help us to see that we need you, God. Some of us keep running into brick walls because we're trying to do it on our own. And we need you. So open our eyes, open our ears to hear your small, still voice speaking to our hearts. That we would understand that we need you. Father, that you would open our hearts to receive all that you have for us this morning. God, you want to do something here in our lives. We come not just for another meeting or something else to do, but we come to encounter you. And so, Lord, we pray with expectation that you will meet our needs where we are and that we will walk away changed because we've encountered the Almighty God. So we pray all these things with expectation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. You may be seated. This time we'd like to release the warrior youth. The student ministry is released to go back. It's great to see all of you here today. We're starting a new series. It's called Salvation. A couple of months ago, we took a survey. We took a, uh, a survey as a church. Do you guys remember that? Let me see if you were here and you participated in that survey. Would you lift up your hands? Just keep them up. I just want to take a kind of a uh, thank you. Take a view here. Okay. This series is a direct result of that survey because there were a couple of things that really stood out to me. There was one thing, and we talked about this. This really is encouraging to me, and it should be to you as well, but most church growth is transfer growth, and what that means is 95 to 98% of the growth that happens in churches is just from people moving from one church to another. So 2 to 5% of church growth is really converted growth where people are actually getting saved, where we're increasing the number of people that are coming to the Lord by 2 to 5%. But a Life Fellowship, the results show that 30 to 35% of our congregation are new Christians. And so that's really exciting because we talk about living it. We talk about going out and making a, making a difference in the world. And we're way above what is standard in churches today. Listen, if we're only getting, if the church is only getting two to five percent people saved, we're not doing very well. I mean, can you imagine taking a test and you get two or five percent on the test? That would not be very, very good. But to, to, to understand that God is doing something here and uh, our numbers are much greater than that. That's exciting to me because it tells me that we're impacting the kingdom of God. And that's what, we came, that's what Christ came to do. And that's why he, he pours into us so that we can be saved, so that we can have a relationship with him, but also impact the world around us. Another thing that came from that survey is that I, I don't remember the numbers. I think it was 95 to 98% of us that took that survey believed that Jesus, that God can can forgive all sins for, for everyone, okay? So 95, 90, 95% of us, I think, believe that God can forgive anyone for any sin. 
But what was perplexing to me is that one of the questions said, if you were to die today, are you confident that you would go to heaven? And a third of the people that took that survey were not confident. And I said, okay, so what is it here? We believe as a church that God can forgive anyone for any sin, but yet we have a third of our people here that are not sure about their salvation. And so this, this morning, I'm going to start a new series. It's called Salvation. And I want to talk about what is salvation. We're going to talk about what is salvation. Why do we need salvation? How do we receive salvation? What about a salvation prayer? If someone were to come up to you and want to receive the Lord, how would you pray with them? And we're going to talk about our security in Christ. When we receive Christ, are we secure in our salvation? So we're going to be talking about some of those things. And I know that a number of you understand salvation. A number of us have been saved for a long time, and we, we understand about salvation. But we've talked about how God has called us to go and impact the world around us. And so when we're teaching on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday evenings, part of what we're doing is we're getting filled up with the Word of God, but we're getting trained and equipped to go out and make a bigger impact in the world around us. And so it's not just about us understanding, but can we disseminate that to others? Can we help other people understand? If someone were to walk up to you tomorrow at work and say, what does salvation mean? Do you know what that means? If someone were to walk up to you and say, well, why do I need salvation? Why do I need to be saved? I'm a good person. And so we're going to talk about those things. And it, it, what it does is it reaffirms in us what the Word of God says, but it also helps to equip us when we're in that situation, that, that we can help others. So this morning, the Lord woke me up, and I had the sermon all done. We had the slides all done, and I called Jason about 8 this morning. I said, well, I talked to the boss this morning, and he wants to make a change. So I love that, that God is a, a dynamic God, and that he works in our lives. If you're visiting today, if, uh, if you're here today, this is a special message for you, because God had me change the message up a little bit for this morning. The first thing I want to do is I want to talk about our mission statement. Our mission statement is to develop, you know, come on, say it with me, to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. So everything that we do is to drive us to a deeper, more intimate relationship with the Lord. And a lot of us have tried to fill that God-shaped hole with other things, and it doesn't work. And so we're all about getting into that, that place where we have that intimate relationship with the Lord. Do you remember our core values? Love, prayer, obedience, humility, teachability, being able to teach others, but also being able to be taught, unity and service. So those are our core values that drive our mission statement. And then I wanted to share our core scripture, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Okay, so verse 12 tells us what their responsibility is. Why did Christ give these gifts to the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? So they could have a title? So they could look good in the church and look good on the street? I'm an apostle. I'm a prophet. No. Their responsibility, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, is to equip God's people to do his work, to build up the church, the body of Christ. And so these gifts are given to the church to build up the body of Christ. Let's, let's look at verse 13. This will continue until we all 
come into such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So when we talk about spiritual growth and maturity is a lifelong process, it's not just flipping on a switch. This will what? Continue. So it's not a one-shot deal, okay? Like some people think, well, I can go to church on Sunday and I'm good for a couple of months. No, it's not a one-shot one booster shot. It's a continuation. So this will continue until we all come into such unity in our faith. And knowledge of God's Son, who would that be? Jesus Knowledge of God's Son, Jesus, not just knowing about Him, but having a personal, intimate relationship with Him, actually knowing Him, being connected to Him. So that what? So that we become mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So that's our core scripture. But I want to read on this morning. I want to read on a couple of, a few more scriptures here. I want to look at the results that are really found in Ephesians 4 14 through 16. We're doing all these things. We're coming into unity in the faith. We're coming to the knowledge of God's Son so that we become mature. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Because there are people out there that will tell you lies. The definition of marriage is changing today because this is a new new world. You know, things are different than they were 2,000 years ago. No, no. The definition of marriage has stayed the same. Well, you know, any road will get you to heaven. No, no, there's one way, Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So there are people that are out there that are teaching things (laughs) that will get us messed up. But if we know the Word of God, if we know the truth of God, then we become mature, and we're not blown about by every wind of new teaching that comes along. Send $77 to this ministry, and God's going to bless you with a million bucks. That's not necessarily going to happen. So we need to know what the Word of God says so that we will no longer be immature like children. It goes on to say in verse 15, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. And so we will understand the Word of God, we will understand the things of God, and we will be able to speak the truth to others in love. Wow. So that's important, that we're speaking the truth, but we're speaking the truth in love. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So you're needed in the body of Christ. You're an important part. Because we're all helping one another. And so as we connect together in Christ, the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. When we talk about some of these topics that you say, well, I know about salvation. Some of us need to hear this message because we don't really know how to define salvation. But for those of us that do know what salvation is, these are tools that we can learn to help us share with other people. Because we want to continue to impact this community and the world around us. And we can do that when we know the truth and when we share the truth in love, not beating people up, not, you know, making them feel bad. Let's show them the truth. This is what the Word of God says, that there's one way to God, and it's through Christ. And we can live a life that represents, that represents Christ to the world. 
And when we're living a Christ-like life, it will draw people to him. And God will use you. I know uh, we've talked about Pastor Don, how he's just so full of the love of God. The people are just drawn to him because it's the love of Christ in him. And it gives him a great platform and opportunity to share that love. And as they watch his life, they see a man with the character of God living it before them. And so that's what we should be doing. We should be living a life that draws people to Christ, that glorifies God. And as we yield our life to him, he begins to work in our life, and he continues that work in our life. He continues to work in our life. So this morning, I want you to begin to turn to Romans chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 19 through 30. And also, we're going to stay in Romans and go to chapter 5. So let's go to chapter 3. While you're turning there, I want to share something with you that, uh, two things. I got some really, really bad news. But on the other hand, before we end, I want to share some really, really good news with you, okay? So we're going to share both of those things with you. Let's talk about salvation. What is salvation? Salvation is God's deliverance of a people or an individual from a threatening situation from which that group or person is unable to rescue itself, to summarize, to be delivered from something. Okay, so salvation or deliverance could be from political oppression, which is when we look at the time of Jesus, the, the Jews were under the oppression of the Roman government. It could be uh, salvation or deliverance could be from unjust accusations. Have you ever been accused of something that, that you didn't do? And so you can be delivered from that. Uh, military disaster, physical illness. There, there are people that need to be delivered from different infirmities and maladies and things like that. But what we're really going to focus on is being delivered or salvation from spiritual consequences that result from sinful behavior. That's really what we're going to be talking about. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about what are some of the reasons for missing Jesus as the Messiah or the Savior. Because we know that when Jesus was here, a lot of the people missed him. They were looking, I think a lot of them were looking, and we talked about this at Bible study recently. If you're not coming to Bible study, let me put a plug in for that. But they were looking for a political or military Savior to deliver them from the oppressive Roman government. And I think that, this is just my opinion, and I try not to give too many of my opinions, but... I think that even some of those people may have thought that they could manipulate Jesus into revealing himself as the Messiah or Savior because I think they were thinking, some of them may have been thinking, well, if we force him to be crucified, then he will reveal himself as the Messiah and the Savior. And we'll benefit from that because we'll get uh, released from the suppression of the Roman government. And so I think that there may have been people there that were saying, well, he says he's the Messiah and Savior. All right. Well, let's see what happens if they're going to take him to the cross. Because a Savior, a Messiah, can't do anything if he's dead. But what they didn't understand is they didn't see the whole picture. God had a much greater purpose and plan than just coming to release the Jews from the oppression of the Roman government. He came to free humanity from sin and to restore us back into a relationship with God. He didn't come to save the people from the bondage of the Romans. He came that all humanity could be restored back to God 
That's why I came. I have a question for you. How often do we miss the bigger picture of God because it doesn't line up with everything we want? Oh, well, I'm, you know, God's going to do it this way, and then he does it differently. How many times has it thrown us off course when it doesn't line up with what we want, with how we think God ought to do it? God doesn't always work in accordance with the way that we think. We should be glad for that because some of us would, would end up right back in a jam if God did things exactly the way that we wanted to. And one of the, the themes, uh, the women, we had a group of women that went to the women's conference, and last week they shared, and what I saw in the common thread and the common theme of that was that they were dealing with, that God was dealing with them and their selfishness. And I think that that's one area where most of us struggle because we want things our way from the time we're born. We cry and, and we get fed. We have a messy diaper. We cry, and somebody comes and changes our diaper. And, and so we're brought up in this situation where the whole world revolves around me. And at some point in time, hopefully, we get to a place where we realize it's not all about me and my own selfish desires. But as we yield our life to God, we realize it's all about him. And then he blesses us. He watches over us. He takes care of us. He provides for us. So I think I'm only going to get to two points this morning. My first point is I'm a good person. We probably all heard this, good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. Well, you know, people that have messed up lives, they go to hell. Well, you know, I've never been drunk. I've never stolen. I've never lived a promiscuous lifestyle. I've never told a lie. Uh, well, wait a minute. Let me scratch that one. But those other things I've never done. But I'm a good person. Well, let me ask you. Have you received Christ as your Lord and Savior? That's the critical question. Because if you told one lie, you've been disqualified because you've broken the law. Sorry. Banished to hell. You're gone. You've broken the law. So it's not about doing everything right. It's about receiving Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's the access that we have to heaven. It's not about being good or bad. I'm not recommending you to be bad. But as God begins to take a hold of our life, he begins to change us from the inside out. Have you ever gossiped? Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever coveted? Oh, but that's not as bad as committing adultery or murder. We are all guilty of breaking God's law. And if we've broken one, it doesn't matter. We've broken the law. How many times have you uh, been pulled over? Or have you ever been pulled over by a police officer? Uh, sir, is there any reason you're in such a hurry? You're breaking, you're exceeding the speed limit? Oh, well, I didn't know what it was. I, I thought it was too bad. You broke the law. So they have the right, and a lot of times they'll give you a ticket. Well, next time you'll pay more attention to what you're doing, won't you? So we are all guilty of breaking God's law. Let's go to Romans 3, 19 and 31. See, I told you I had some bad news for you, <laughs> but it gets better. Stay with me, okay? Verse 19, obviously the law applies to those to whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. I wonder how many excuses police officers have heard for speeding. Now, I see some of you smiling. Maybe you've come up with some good excuses. Well, sir, my, my dog here has to go to the bathroom, so I'm trying to get him back to the house. 
whatever it may be. I can only imagine the excuses that they've heard rather than take responsibility and say, you know what, I was speeding, I'm guilty, I was wrong. Obviously, the law applies to those whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. Verse 20, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Like, wow. I was driving the other day, and I saw one of those signs that it has a radar gun on it. It shows your speed limit. And I, I don't think I've ever seen one of those where I push down on the gas pedal to speed up. Because I'm like, oh, wow, uh, 39 miles an hour. What's the speed limit here? That's what I'm thinking. And, uh, and usually I'm, I'm exceeding the speed limit because I'm not thinking about it. So the law, the speed limit signs are there to show us what we're doing. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Verse 21, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Okay, well, this is getting better. Okay, let's look at verse 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. It doesn't say for everyone who performs and never makes any mistakes. No, it says for everyone, what? Who believes. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. That's good news. That's good news because some of us have been rascals. Some of us have done some things that have not been good. Okay, I want to pause here for a moment, and I want, to talk, I want to talk about Abraham. Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation, and Abraham lived about 700 years before God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. So he lived before the law. Let's look at uh, verse 21 again. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. This was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Okay, keep your finger here and... Uh, turn over to Romans chapter 4, verse 3. And this is taken from, and, and I'm not going to go there, but it's taken from Genesis chapter 15, 1 through 6. But Romans 4, 3 says, For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Abraham was counted to be in right standing with God because of his faith in God. Abraham lived about 700 years before the law was even written. So did Abraham ever break the law from the Ten Commandments? Okay, we know what the Ten Commandments say, but did Abraham ever break the law? Well, we know that he, he lied. He told on two occasions that Sarah was not his wife. Okay, so even with that, that would be enough to break the law. In Genesis chapter 15, and I encourage you to go back and read this later. God tells Abraham, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to bless you with so many descendants you can't count them all. He tells him, look at the stars in the sky. You, can you count them all? No. That's, that's going to be like your descendants. There are going to be so many that you can't count them all. And it's after this, okay, so he tells him he's going to bless him. He tells him he's going to give him a son. He tells him that he's going to bless him with abundant descendants. It's after that that God counted him as righteous because of his faith. What did he do? He believed. He believed God. 
Let's go back to Romans 3.20. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Verse 21. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the laws was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. And so when we took that survey, 95% of us said we believe that God can forgive anyone for any sin. But a third of us said, well, if I were to die today, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. I have a friend, Michael Constantine, and when he had hit a point, he'd go, oops, there it is. So, oops, there it is. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. You notice that it doesn't say, we might be made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't say, it doesn't say we will be made right with God. What does it say? It says we are right now. We are right now made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes. It doesn't say that it's for a select few. It says for all. Well, you don't know what they've done. Wrong answer. Forgiven. When they receive Christ, they're forgiven. They're made new, no matter who they are. Let's get personal here. Well, you don't know what I've done. Wrong answer. God's forgiven you. When you receive his grace and mercy and forgiveness, you're forgiven. When we just say, Lord, I believe you. How was Abraham counted as righteous? Because he kept all the law? No, because he believed God. He had faith in God. I haven't personally, but I, I've talked to people that have had an encounter with Jesus, that have met him, that have had an encounter with him. And most of us, I would say, probably haven't. But do you believe in Jesus? Have you ever seen him? Is that faith? I would say so. Lord, I believe. Lord, I receive now. We are made right, right now with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Let's go to verse 23, Romans 3, 23. For everyone, say everyone, everyone. has sinned. We all, say all, fall short of God's glorious standard. All of us have sinned, every single one of us. Let's look at verse 24. Yet God, ah, oh, I love that. Yet God, but God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. To sin, uh, and we've talked about this a lot, to sin is like an archer shooting at a target and you miss the entire target. Okay, now you can miss the target with a bow and arrow. You can miss the target with a gun. You can miss the target with a cannon. You can miss the target with a dart. It doesn't matter what you miss the target with, you still miss the target. So it doesn't matter what sin you've committed, whether it's lying, stealing, gossiping, all of them missed the target. Yet God, with his undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty 
for our sins. And he did that on the cross. He took on all your sins. He took on all of our sins. He took on all of their sins on the cross. He paid the price. Jesus paid the ransom or the cost for all of our sins. Every sin for every person, no matter who they are, no matter who we are, no matter who we once were, all the sins are paid for. We just have to simply believe and receive. Let's look at Romans 3.25. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrifices life, shedding his blood. It goes on to say in 25, This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior for all of humanity. Goes on to say in verse 26, God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. And so when God looks down on us, he doesn't see us entrenched in sin. He sees us covered by the blood of Christ, that our sins are forgiven. That's how he sees you. Verse 27, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. We're guilty. Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever broken the law? You're guilty. Banished to hell. <laughs> but no, wait a minute. We're not made right through the law. We're made right through faith in Christ. That's good news. So we're made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. When you look back in the Old Testament, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Were they able to keep the law? I mean, you know, he parted the Red Sea for them and delivered them from Egypt, and it wasn't long before they began complaining and making a, a golden calf and wanting to go back to Egypt and all these things. So we're made right with God through faith not by obeying the law. And when you look back and you see the Israelites, I mean, God did some amazing things, miracles. And how quickly did they forget and turn away from him? Time after time after time after time. It goes on to say in Romans 3.29, After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. So God saves the Jews, but he also saves the non-Jews. That's us, most of us. I don't know, any, you may be a Jew here today. But God's love and his grace and his forgiveness extends to everyone, everyone who believes. Verse 30, there is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles, non-Jews. Okay, there's only one God. Okay, we've talked about some of the other religions. Hindus have 44,444 gods or whatever. There's one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Verse 31. Well, then, if we emphasize faith, does that mean we can forget about the law? Hey, wait a minute. We have faith. We can go break the law. Hey, it doesn't matter, right? No, it says, of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we fulfill the law. It's only by faith. It's only by that connection with God that God begins to change our heart. 
And so, oh, you know, I know I have a propensity to steal. I need to quit stealing. I need to quit doing this. I need to quit doing that. And then when I get my life together, then I'll go to church, and then I'll have a relationship with God. No, it's backwards. When we begin to allow God to infuse our life, he begins to change us from the inside out. And then all those exterior behaviors begin to change. Because why? Because our heart is changed. If our heart is not changed, we're not changed, people. I mean, straight up. When we allow God, as God changes our heart, we begin to yield our life to him and turn away from sin. Because what happens? God begins to transform us. Romans 12, 2 talks about be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. So as we come into alignment with God's word, we begin to think about sin differently. Repentance from sin is not just turning and going the other way because we can still fall in the same trap that we keep falling in, but it's changing the way we think about sin. When I do this, it's damaging to me. It draws me away from God. When I do this, it damages my relationship with God. It damages my relationship with my spouse. It damages my relationship with my family or whatever that may be. And so as we begin to think about the things of God, we begin to receive the things of God, and God begins to transform our life. Then our lives are changed. And God begins to bring health and healing and wholeness to our life and restore us in right relationship with him. Why? Because we're keeping the law? No. Because we're jumping through every hoop? No. It's because of faith. We're, we're putting our faith in Christ. We're saying, God, I believe. I believe that you took on all my sins at the cross. They're all paid for. You paid a ransom for me. And I don't have to drag that stuff out of the closet and drag it around with me. I don't have to walk in guilt and shame for the things that I've done because, Christ, you took it all on at the cross. It's a completed work. It's done. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? That's what salvation is all about, is recognizing that God has done something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. How many of you have tried to do things for yourself and you just can't? And so God begins to heal us. God begins to pour into our life. God begins to change us. So my second point, my first point is I'm a good person. My second point is, oops, I guess I'm not that good. But you know what? You're in good company. Because what does Romans 3.23 say? All, all, everyone. Are you everyone? Are you part of everyone? I think we're all part of that subset. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. So we've all missed the mark. I don't care if you're shooting with a bow and arrow, a gun, a cannon, a dart. You've missed it. But the great news is, is that Christ came to restore us back into relationship with him. God came to restore humanity back into relationship with him. For everyone, Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. This morning, we've looked at what salvation is. And this is only half the message that I wanted to get through today. But I really felt like the Lord wanted me to, to just really emphasize what we're all about. Because you may say, I know what salvation is. But are you able to share that with someone else? Are you able to really understand that like we saying today, Lord, I need you. Lord, I really need you in my life because I know the things that I've done. I know the failures and the shortcomings. And like I said earlier, we've all missed the mark. All of us have. 
But the great news is that we can be forgiven of all of our sins. We can be restored in right relationship, not by jumping through hoops and all these things, but by simply believing and receiving what Christ has done for us, what Christ has done for you. This morning, I want to do something a little different. I want us to sing that chorus, one of the songs we sang this morning. And I, I want you just to let the words of, of this song just wash over you. I want you to enter into worship. And uh, I want you to ask the Lord if there's anything in your life that you need to submit to him. Let's just sing. thank you for your boldness. I want to thank you for your honesty before God. And again, I'm not here to embarrass you. I, I just want to lead you in this prayer. Would you pray after me? Say, dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today. I receive your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy. And I thank you for complete receive your forgiveness and completeness today. And I thank you. And I thank you, Lord, that this is a new day. All that old stuff is gone.
Lord God, I pray that you would so fill him and indwell him with the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that he would hear your voice speaking to him clearly. God, that you would continue a work that you're doing in this man's life. That you would fill him to overflowing with your great love and your presence. And Father, he would hear your small, still voice speaking to him like never before. And soon he will look back and see the man that he's become from the man that he was. And he will be amazed at what you've done. So Father, I thank you for this man. I thank you for the calling on his life. I thank you for what you're doing, and I thank you for what you're going to do, Father. And we give you the praise and the glory and the honor and thanks, because we're going to see you do mighty things through this man's life. And I pray that he will just yield himself to you and allow you greater access, total access into his life to change him, to heal him, restore him. Everything that he needs, fill him to overflowing. Bless him, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Let's sing that chorus again. as we go from this place today that we would be filled to overflowing with your presence that we might receive greater and more from you greater insight wisdom greater connection with you that we would experience your love in a greater measure father fill us up to overflowing with so much love that it's just oozing out of us that when people look at us they say something's different about you what's different about you And we will be ready to answer that it's the love of God that's indwelling within us, that's pouring out of every pore of our being, that's filling us to overflowing, that has changed our life. And God, I pray that we would look for the opportunities to share that great love and what you've done in our lives with other people this week. So Father, we give you praise and glory and honor and thanks. And we pray with expectation that you will continue to lead people across our path that we can impact by the power of your Holy Spirit, leading them to the Lord, sharing the love of Christ with them, sharing the hope of salvation with them, that they don't have to carry all that stuff around, that they can leave it at the cross, leave all that stuff there and be free, be liberated. So, Father, we pray all these things with expectation. In the almighty and the all-powerful name of Jesus, and we thank you for it now. If you'd like prayer, Jason and Tanya will be up here. They'd love to pray for you. If, you're, if, you, if you have some challenges you're going through, you don't have to navigate through those by yourself. We'd love to pray with you. Thank you for joining us this morning. Go out and live it. Make a difference. You are a world changer. When we yield our life to God, God changes the world around us. Go out and live it. You're dismissed.